soon to be, well, not soon to be, he's already signed a pro boxing contract and my bodyguard, Pastor Frank. No comment. <clears throat> Who's excited to be in the house this morning? We're going we're gonna to play a little game right off the bat while I get some things ready. I, I command every person in this room to stand up. Yeah. Come on, get up. There ain't no please. I said command. <clears throat> All right, you can sit. All right, I just want you to remember that. That one thing, a little bit of the sternness in my voice and how I commanded you all to stand up. Um, let me get this ready here. We're going we're gonna to try to keep it straight, strong, and not too long. I'm excited about this because this is, this is a message that I've lived the last six, six years. <clears throat> These next two weeks, you're going to learn about me, about Angie, about our relationship, about the things we've been through. And it's going to be hard for me to contain everything that I want to tell you into two 35 to 45 minute ses uh, sermons. I still haven't got to where I needed to go yet. There we are. So I've got some notes in front of me. I've got them condensed down as about as far as I can go. I might jump around a little bit. I might chase a few rabbits down a hole. <clears throat> so... This is going to be an interesting ride. First, I want to thank Jamie and Lisa for trusting me as a pastor here at this church, to trust me with this pulpit, to trust me to lead you guys every Sunday, and to trust me enough to say, hey, handle the message. You've got this. Not once in my two years here, or over two years now, has Jamie ever interjected or tried to steer me wrong on a message, but we do always communicate and the wonderful thing is the Lord brought us together and we see eye to eye just about on everything. I also want to thank my beautiful wife because without her, none of this would be possible. Yeah. Without her and her understanding, and later on you'll, you'll hear more about her forgiveness, I wouldn't know these lessons. I wouldn't be the pastor or the man that I am today. So I thank you. It means, oh crap, I looked at her. I want to start with 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I still got one more thing I have to do. There we go. I got lots of stuff. You guys are in for a ride. So what does it take to love? That's a, that's a question we're posing today. What does it take to fall in love? I'm going to be honest with you, not much more than a pulse. We're going to see the discrepancies in falling in love and feelings and emotions and what the Bible and what Jesus really says about it. What's it take to keep in love, to stay in love? Now, most of this and how you hear me deliver it is going to be directed at relationships and marriage. But understand me when I say that every ounce of this applies to every relationship you'll have in your life. That's friendship, brotherhood, discipleship. Any encounter you have with another human being, whether they're a believer or not, this applies directly to it. It just works really good with your woman, okay? So there's this movie that came out in 2008. The name of the movie was Juno. How many of you have heard of it or seen it? 
Not very many, and that's okay. Not, we, it's not imperative that you know the movie, but the movie's a really sweet movie about a young teenage girl who gets pregnant. Her name is Juno. Juno goes to an abortion clinic, and she decides against abortion. She decides for adoption. But see, the thing about Juno is she's in, a, she's in a broken home. Her mom and dad are divorced. She lives with her mom and her stepdad, and her dad is separate. So in her plight, she searches and finds a couple, a young couple that are looking to adopt. And as she gets to know them and maybe gets a little bit too close, she starts to see that there's also a broken marriage there too. So in a really touching scene, at some point, middle, middle way, three quarters through the movie, it's been a while since I've seen it, she asks her dad in a very touching conversation, she says, I'm losing faith in humanity. I just need to know, is it possible for two people to stay happy together forever? Yes, that is the answer. It is possible. Thanks for ruining the whole sermon. It is 100% possible. I'm not, that was a rabbit. We're not going to go there. We all have hope. We all have the hope that every relationship, marriage, friendship, everything we have is going to be hunky-dory, perfect, beautiful, like roses. But often, more times than not, it comes out smelling like the other end. Right? Why is that? Why do we, why do we fail inherently at just about every relationship that we have? What if I told you it was impossible? No, wait, let me rephrase that. Even if I told you that it was impossible to fall in love and stay in love, you wouldn't stop trying. It's inherently built into us. God designed us to have those feelings, to have those emotions. He designed us to yearn for other people, to yearn for discipleship, to yearn... For love. It's not inherently wrong to want those things. The problem is we have to look at what... <clears throat> sorry. I always forget to open the bottle before I start. We have to look at what common culture says. There's a large discrepancy in what the Bible tells us love is and what common culture says love is. Common culture tells us we need to look for the right one. Right? That also tells us if it feels good, it must be good. Am I wrong? That's not just the case in relationships. It's not just the case in emotions in relationships. I'm going to be very, uh, very blunt and honest, but I'm not going to be vulgar. It gets also into the physical side of relationships. If it feels good, it must be good. It goes into the side of uh, soothing our soul the earthly way. If it tastes good, it must be good. If the drug feels good, it must be good for my body, right? That's what culture says. And the thing is, these idealizations live in everything that we see. You can't avoid it. It's in songs. It's in movies. It's in social media. It's in the relationships you see in front of you when you go shopping at Walmart. People. It's okay to love on your woman at Walmart, but come on. PDA, ever heard of that? Pull it back, get a room, right? How about this? 
It's so inherent in our culture, there's over 1,500 dating organizations in the United States that'll take your profile, match it with your other profile, and say you guys are the right ones. Based off algorithms, computers, and artificial intelligence. Not based off the word of the living father. So here's the thing. We got this juxtaposition. We've got this battle. I need to slow down. I'm getting excited. We've got this battle of cultural versus spiritual, right? So there should be a triangle up on the screen. It's, it, pardon me, it's Canva lies. Canva sits on a throne of lies. It told me that triangle was squared in the center, and it's not. <clears throat> but we see, hey, Alex, go to the next one. We'll come back to that one. So we see now we got a triangle upside down. This is the cultural view of how we live our lives. We've got the emotional, the physical, and the interpersonal all in one segment of that pyramid. But see what's wrong with that pyramid. The fattest parts in in the air. The fattest parts upside down. We've got marriage at the top. So we meet somebody, often more times than not, we have a physical attraction to somebody. We develop a physical relationship before we ever develop the social or the interpersonal. We then move into the emotional because of the physical. Listen, hear me. Anybody under the sound of my voice in this room that's not married, or even that is married, anybody that's looking on the internet, Anybody under the sound of my voice, hear me right now. Every physical interaction you will ever have in your life creates a tie. Basically, every time you have a physical interaction with another person, you have now married that person. You have created an inner, it's, it's, And it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again. And the next thing you know, you have so much baggage on your shoulders that you can't hardly stand up. So this is what we do. We have a physical attraction connected to an emotional reaction that then goes into an interpersonal relationship, and then we get married. And we think, well, she's the right one for me. And she's going to inherently fix my flaws. She's going to fill all the empty spaces, all the things that I don't have right within me, and vice versa. She says the same thing. He's going to fix everything that's wrong with me. He's, you complete me. Jerry Maguire, you had to go and ruin the whole thing. Now, I tell Angie often that she completes me. And I mean that from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, that she does complete me earthly. When we're apart, we're like, I don't know, weebles and wobbles, those toys that when we were in the 80s, when you pulled them apart, they screamed. We're gross, right? So she does complete me, but she doesn't complete my soul. So go back to the other one there, Alex. Thank you. So here we have... The spiritual side of this battle. We have a foundation that starts rooted in the spirit, rooted in Christ. That then, come on, if you're looking for the right one, you're doing it wrong. Okay? Keep that in mind. So we've got the spiritual. Okay, let's say that I'm just out on the town. 
I'm not married. This is years ago. I love you, right? I'm out on the town. I'm rooted. I'm looking for somebody. I, woo, there's a physical attraction. Culture says to move on it, right? Our next thing is the social interaction. We get to know them. We get to know who they are, their, inter, their, their intricacies, their quirks. That next thing moves into an interpersonal relationship where we start to really dig deeper, to really see who the other person is. Now, see, this isn't just about love and dating and marriages. This works in creating bonds with people that God has brought you to, right? We start with the social based in the spiritual that then leads us into the interpersonal. When we have a strong, strong spiritual foundation, we can support the social, the interpersonal that then moves into the emotional and then here comes the bride, we can get married. See, I skipped all through my notes again. I love it. <clears throat> so what does the Bible say? You can move on, Alex, thank you. We get the point. I could talk about that pyramid all day. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says in 1 John 3, 18 through 19, My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. It didn't say practice love. It said practice real love. And hear me out. The word practice means action. Remember that. Practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we are loving truly. Loving in God's... Right. When the foundation is spiritual, it's big. When we're loving in God's reality, when we're deeply rooted letting him love us in his reality, we have a strong, planted, firm, spiritual foundation. But it gets better. If I have a strong, firmly rooted spiritual foundation, I've got room for two. Maybe three, maybe four. Do they have to have strong, rooted spiritual foundations? No, maybe not. The Bible does speak about being unequally yoked, but it also speaks about being all things to all men. The thing about the big foundation is it's not just about me. See, when the foundation is cultural, it only leaves room for one thing. You saw the foundation of the culture came down to a point. It only leaves room for what? One point. One person. One thought. One soul. One mind. If we're in a cultural mindset, we can only think about ourselves. And that's what it tells us. Everything we see, songs, media, we've been there. I've explained it already. It's all about you, you, you. Feel good. The thing is, in that mindset, if they don't fulfill us, complete us, and do everything exactly how we expect them to do, then they must not be the right one, right? So this all begins with Christ. It's the only place that we can start to start building that spiritual foundation. When I had no spiritual foundation, the only refuge that I could find wasn't my mother, wasn't my father, it wasn't even Angie, it was Christ. Christ alone, the Father, 
the Holy Spirit. First, these aren't going to be up on the screen. They're just quick. I'm going to go through them. 1 Corinthians 6.17, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. It starts with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. If we don't find our significance in Him first, we're going to find it somewhere else. we're going to find it in someone else. We're going to find it in something else. And as I just said, we're going to find it in somewhere else. Right? Those someone, somewheres, and some things all create those emotional ties, those soul ties that I was talking about earlier. When we can't find our significance in Him, we're going to look for it to fill the voids in an earthly, fleshly way. Now, I could get talking about sin and those sorts of things, and I'm going to chase this one little rabbit hole. But see, this emptiness that we want to fill leads us to plant a seed. And it's not the seed that we talk about sowing out into the world. It's a seed that we're going to sow into ourselves called sin. Because sin starts as a seed. And when you first dip into it, you plant it within yourself. And the next thing you know, you've got a tree coming out of your head. And that tree still doesn't fill the void that you have in your heart. That you have in your soul. Right? Right? It leads to addiction of all sorts, alcoholism, drug addiction, porn addiction, sex addiction. I could go on and on and on where it can take you. Gambling, buying too many motorcycles, all of it. It takes you places that you'll never want to be. Here's another fun fact. Studies show that the in-love feeling, numerous studies, so many that I didn't write them all down, say that the in-love feeling that we feel is y'all being drunk. Oh, come on. That's funny. When we feel in love, when we first have that attraction and we are so high on the other person, we are literally experiencing a dopamine response in our brain that's the same thing as if we were to do cocaine, if we were to enjoy methamphetamine, drink alcohol, all those things. You literally are addicted to the person that you're attracted to. Now, the studies say that only lasts 6 to 18 months. So what happens is you fall so head over heels in love for the other person that you're drunk on them. You're calling them, you up for four hours a night. No, you go to sleep. Talking on the phone. No, no, you go to sleep. Are you asleep yet? No. Sending flowers, doing all the things, driving driving hundreds of miles back and forth to see him on the weekends. You do all the silly things, writing songs, writing love poems, chasing him. I mean, yeah, I've done it. All of it. You become so high on the other person that it only lasts six to 18 months. Well, then what happens? Same thing. You take the drug away from an addict, the alcohol away from an alcoholic. What happens? Louder. Come on, somebody. 
withdraw. What happens? All of a sudden, you are now withdrawing off the dopamine and the serotonin. Your blood, your brain has been flooded with, and now you don't love them anymore. Right? Whoa. Not only does it happen in relationships and in marriages, it happens in friendships. How many times have you met somebody that rides a Harley, that wears a vest, you guys are, whew, got choppers, and the next thing you know, boy, that guy's not nearly as cool as I thought he was. Right? It happens in every situation, every place. People get drunk on other people, and we don't know that. Culture's told us that's what we have to have in order to have a long-lasting marriage, long-lasting relationship, long-lasting friendship, that we have to have that constant high of the other person, right? What if I told you to just stop searching for the right people and become the right person? What if I told you that your priorities were awfully out of order? I asked a guy one time that I was counseling, I said, what are your priorities in life? And he said, well, I, I don't really understand. <clears throat> and I said, no, what are your priorities in life? What, what, are you, what are your goals? What are your aspirations? How do you live your life on a daily basis from the time that you open? Give me a day. From the time you open your eyes till you shut them, what are your priorities? Well, I got to have something to eat and then um, go make some money because I got to have money because I want to be a painter. I have my own body shop. I want to do all this stuff. And all these lists of these really great aspirations and goals, a Christian, his wife was way down at the bottom, or his girlfriend was way down at the bottom. What if I told you that putting everything away in your life, including yourself, and putting the Father first was the first step? Would you believe me? See, to the world, that sounds selfish. How could you put... How could you love God the Father over your wife? Because if I don't understand the love of the Father, I could never love somebody else. Because if I don't have my firm spiritual foundation, I can't truly understand what love really is. Right? So up to this point, we've really just kind of talked about love being a feeling, being in love, right? But love in the world is a noun. I'm sorry, Alex. I'm going all over the place. You're doing a good job, I think. I can't see it, so. <clears throat> Love's a feeling. Love's an emotion. Right? No. We've made the word love a noun. If you watch the devotions, I touched on this a little bit. Try Every devotion this week was kind of getting this into this sermon. Hmm. I love pizza. I love tacos. I love sushi. I love Harleys. I love fast cars. I love Subarus. I love jean jackets. I love leading worship. That's all noun use. I love Angie. That's even a noun there. Right? But what's Jesus say? Jesus makes it really plain and simple. I love how Jesus was... Just walking through. It's like he had no care in the world. He must have had a microphone back then because he dropped lots of them. He said, John 13, 34, so now I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Ah, you didn't get it. Let's read it again. What's the first thing I had you do this morning? 
So now I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, this is not a new, new concept in the world of preaching. I've heard many preachers and pastors talk about love being an action, and it is. But it's my turn, okay? So love is an action. Jesus himself commands it. You cannot command emotion. Can you? No. Be sad. Be happy. You faked it. You can't command emotion. Emotion is something that you have to develop inside of yourself. It comes from somewhere. Right? Something has to happen to trigger an emotion. I could hand you 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, and I could trigger some happiness. I'm not going to. You can to me. Right? I could kick you in the shin really hard. I'm not going to. And trigger an emotion. I could trigger a reaction. I could trigger a feeling, a physical feeling. But in order to do those things, to get those emotions, I had to do something first. It's physics. I had to create an action to create a reaction. Oh, that's good. I just came up with that. Ah, Why did I not write that down? Right? You cannot command emotion. But let me, let me, let me go a little further. There's every emotion in love. Every emotion resides in love. Ask somebody who's been married a long time. If you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle one more time, I'm going to kill you. I love you. Right? Lord, take them right now. They have done everything. She keeps turning off my, my lights in the garage and my batteries aren't charging. Just take her. Make it quick and painless. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Somebody ran over my broom to get snow off the car. Lord, Lord, teach me how to love right now. There's every emotion in love. There's happiness in love. There's anger in love. You can talk to any married couple that's been married for years and years and years and years and know that they at some point have decided to kill each other and we're okay with it. Right? Well, what kept that marriage from falling apart in that moment? <clears throat> I had a lot of fun playing with that in my head. In my studies for this sermon, I listen to a lot of different sermons of other pastors, and I glean a lot of information from other, other guys that I follow. And, and um, <clears throat> I'm not going to get too deep into it. And, and I don't know why I just went here, but a past pastor that I've I've really let pour into my life. He doesn't even know me, and I don't know him. I'm not going to mention his name because I just don't want to bring that into this room. But a man that built a big, he didn't build it, Christ built it, but he helped build through Christ a monster church, a mega church, came forward and admitted that he had committed adultery. And I had listened and took in every word that man said every bit of it about love and relationships. And I thought, are you kidding me? You're kidding me. But see, that's how important these messages are, that even the pastors in the pulpit aren't safe. Even the superheroes that we look at every Sunday morning 
I'm not safe. Jamie's not safe. Lisa's not safe. Angie's not safe. If we don't constantly turn ourselves back to the Father every day, die to ourselves just a little bit more every day, remember that He is the firm foundation, that we are not the firm foundation, then we're leaving the door open for the enemy to jump right in and say, hey, you see that one over there? It's easy. It's easy. It's so easy to get lost. <clears throat> I was, my point in all that was, that little sidebar there, was I was listening to, I don't remember, maybe Andy Stanley or Stephen Furtick or one of them. Anyway, but I heard this story about something called revenge therapy. And this is where I'm going to drive my point home, okay? So bear with me. <laughs> this is good. Revenge therapy. <sighs> So a lady goes to a therapist because her marriage is falling apart, okay? It's broken, it's tattered, it's torn to pieces. They hate each other. So the therapist says, all right, cool. It sounds like a perfect plan for revenge therapy. She said, okay, well, what's that? She goes, well, I want you to love him like you've never loved him. I want you to pretend like it's the best thing you've ever seen. I don't care what he's done to you. I don't care what's happened. I want you to make him breakfast, wash his laundry, cook him dinner, send him Things, do things. Just, just love him, love him, love him, love him, love him, and then three months from now, we're going to serve him the papers. Okay? She says, oh, right. Let's get him. So three months from then, after their weekly visits, him helping her revenge him. Now, this is true. He says, okay, it's time. You ready to do this? Today's the day. Today's the day we marked down on the calendar. Your papers are here. The papers are ready. I've been holding them for you. Let's do this. She says, no, no, no. We're leaving that day to go on a second honeymoon. Because when she turned her love from a feeling into an action, it changed everything. Now, hear me when I say this. I'm not saying that this directly applies to every marriage and every relationship. I could tell you to look at your, if you wanted to know if you married the right person, I could say, get your marriage certificate out and look at the other name on it, right? But that doesn't apply to every situation. If you're abused and you're hurt and things aren't working, then you need to call Biggie and Pookie and get them there right now and call the police and get it taken care of. Could there be restoration and healing in that relationships? Absolutely. But if you're in an abusive situation, you have to get help. Hear me on that. So we see that love is an action. It takes work to make a good relationship. It takes work to make a good dating relationship. It takes work to make a good marriage. It takes action. Jesus spoke it. He commanded it. We can't command ourselves. No. Back that up. We can't command ourselves to feel emotions, but we can command ourselves to make a difference. And as you're going to hear through the next week's devotionals and through our message next Sunday, what took us in our marriage from the depths of divorce, separation, now, church, I'm going to be real honest with you. You've never heard me say these things. Infidelity, porn addiction, sex addiction. What took us from those areas was work. What took us from those areas were five keys that we're going to share with you next week that we put in the place through guidance and counseling, through work, 
to get us to where we are today, to where we're so in love with each other, we can't stand each other. So why do we do this? Why would we want to take that chance on love? Why would we want to put the effort in the love? It's really simple. 1 Corinthians 13.4, it's not going to be on the screen. You heard me cover it in the devotionals. It doesn't get any better than this. We do this because love is patient, love's kind. It's not envious, it's not proud, it's not dishonorable, it's not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrong. Now that's the one that gets everybody. It keeps no record of wrong. See, the action of love is filled with forgiveness. As good or as bad as it is. As hard or as easy as it is. The action of love is filled with forgiveness. It does not delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. Come on, somebody. That's good. It rejoices in truth. It protects. It trusts. It always perseveres. And at the very end, they slap you with the good one. Love never fails. It never gives up. It'll never walk out on me. It'll never walk out on you. See, the Father's action of love is the fact that he went to the cross and he died for us. The Father's action of love is that God so loved us, he sent his only begotten son to go to the cross in order to die for my transgressions, in order to die for the seeds of sin that I would sow, in order to die for the hurt and the pain that I would not only cause in people's lives, but also feel in mine. He went to the cross to not only bear forgiveness, give me grace, but to give me mercy to follow him. Now, as I tie all this up and we wrap it up, ooh, right on time. You see, this is this is, it's hard for me because <clears throat> I can't believe I'm in front of you. I can't believe that God took a trash can and turned it into a chalice. This is <clears throat> this is the most important thing that you can take from this message. Now, it's been fun. We've joked a little bit. We've talked about emotions, relationships, and love. There are people in this room that this is tearing apart. There are people in this room that don't quite get it. There are people online under the sound of my voice that aren't ready to experience it yet. So this is the most important thing. God tells us to love the Lord God with all of our heart. And the second greatest commandment to that is to love thy brother as I have loved you. Your first step in everything that you're going to do in forgiveness, in accountability, in learning to love, we're going to cover all this next week. Your first step is letting him, letting him love you. Your first step is just saying, I don't care if you've been with him your whole life, but you might feel a little bit distant. 
I don't care if you've been the standal model Sunday suit wearing Baptist. No offense, I love me some Baptists. If you feel like you don't understand the Father's love, then you're doing it wrong. We sing songs about it. It's reckless. It's sloppy. It comes at us with no abandon. It says in the Bible that he leaves 99 to come find the one. It says in the Bible that he welcomes with open arms the broken son that comes running back. It says throughout the beginning from Genesis to Revelation, the whole book is based on love. There's a lot of really cool stuff in it other than that. But it's all about love. Everything we do is based on love. So remember this. This is the most important part. Motion creates emotion. No matter how much you've come against me, no matter how much you've tried to hurt me, no matter how much you've tried to turn it around on me, if I don't begin the action of love first, then I'm never going to feel the emotion of love towards you. It can't happen. We can fake it till we make it, but every time we do that, we're going to break it. I'll just close in prayer. Father, I'm thankful for this message. I'm thankful for the life that you've given me up to this point, Father. And I'm more thankful for the future that's coming because I know that you have walked me through the depths of hell where I made my bed to get to this point today because from this day forward, these messages are going to be out. Father, I'm thankful for every person that's under the sound of my voice that needs to hear the heart of your love. Father, this morning I'm begging you to flood them in such a radical way that their lives are forever changed, that today they get a taste of that love. Father, I'm praying that it wrecks them to the point that they would never forget it, that they would never turn back, and they would learn just how reckless your love is, Father. I would pray that in that moment they would learn that there's nothing they have to do to deserve it that it was already theirs, that you gave them that grace, that love, that mercy on the cross that day that your son gave his life for us. Father, I'm thankful that you've planted a seed in all of us that we can plant and grow to be the best lovers there ever has been on this earth. Father, allow us to see you in every moment, in every way, in every movement. Father, let us give the action of love in the hardest moments. Father, we lift all this up to you. We're thankful for you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we give an ovation of praise this evening?